Hey friends, welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast with Audrey Lakeman Hunter. I am Audrey and I am your host and I am so happy that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy a new podcast every other Tuesday when we have an awesome guest come on and chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the Narrowing Turns Pod with Audrey Lickman Hunter on your podcast player or app so you guys will never miss an episode. Friends, if you're interested in being in a small group setting for listening, discussion, and action work with the main focus being on racial justice, I would invite you to consider joining my book club. Our summer book selection is Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice That Shapes What We See, Think, and Do by Jennifer L. Eberhardt. If you're interested in joining the conversation, our next book club meeting is Tuesday, July 20th at 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. DM us on our social medias at No Wrong Turns Pod, or you can email us at NoWrongTurnsPod at gmail.com. Listeners, welcome to our 42nd episode with Molly J. Wilkinson. Molly is a pastry graduate of Le Cordon Bleu, Paris, and became a pastry chef, offering pastry classes in Versailles, France, and around France. Originally, she's from Dallas, Texas, and she moved to Paris in 2013 to follow her passion for baking and ended up staying there in France. This conversation will be a two-part series. In our part one with Molly, she will share about her pastry and baking passion as a young child and how she began to pursue it more seriously. In part two, Molly will share about what life was like for her as a student at Le Cordon Bleu Paris and what she did with her training afterward. You are for sure going to want to lean in and not miss hearing Molly's story as she highlights her passions of baking, becoming a pastry chef, and teaching others. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to her or not, I believe that there is something in this episode for you. All right, here's my conversation with Molly J. Wilkinson. Welcome back to the No Rank Turns pod. Today on the podcast, we have Molly Wilkinson. Hi, Molly. Hello. Nice to be here. Yes, it's so nice to have you. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, maybe where you're from, where you are, any fun facts that you want to share with the listeners? Sure. So I am originally from Dallas, Texas. I actually am currently living in Versailles, France, just five minutes down the road from the Chateau, where all the kings and queens of France were. Wow. Uh, and yeah. They're yeah, it's been your neighbors. Yes, exactly. We're neighbors. <laughs> when we moved, it was really funny. Everyone was like, so are you going to live in a palace? And I was like, no, but I don't know. Might be surrounded by gold. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm a pastry chef. My job is that I teach pastry lessons to people online and in person. And I am coming out with a cookbook here pretty soon. And my concept is all about making French pastry easy and accessible. That is awesome. I think that's one thing I always like kind of get nervous about because they seem so complex. So that's awesome. Kind of breaking it down for us. Like a little Julia Child part two. Exactly. That's the whole point. I, I know when I first started getting into it, it was. It was really complicated. It was a lot of techniques that were unfamiliar to me. And so it's really fun to be able to break those down, like you were saying, and show them to people. Awesome. So you mentioned that you were from Texas. So can you tell us passions or hobbies that you had growing up, maybe, you know, elementary school, or if you remember any before then in the middle school age? Yeah. So I definitely remember growing up, I baked a lot. I baked a whole lot all the time with my mom. And I even remember baking with babysitters. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I have this actually this memory of baking with a babysitter and being horrified that some cracked shell got into the batter. (laughs) Very young memory. I think I was maybe four or five, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, one of those things that I really remember. And I just continued baking. And so my big hobby was during school breaks when I was in elementary school and yeah, I'd say middle school as well. I would come home and that's what I would do. I would bake. I had 
two recipes that were memorized, chocolate chip cookies and brownies. And I made those consistently like over and over again. Those sound like good um, staples. Exactly. Exactly. I had them memorized and my mom just always had butter and eggs in the refrigerator. And yeah, that's what I did. That was was my big hobby. That and art, I would say. Mm -hmm. Did anybody kind of, did your, so did your, anybody kind of influence that where it was your mom into baking and showed you how to do that or? My mom was my big influence for sure. That was the thing that we did together. It was a way to entertain us and I just absolutely loved it. I think even maybe a little bit more than my sisters. I have two sisters, mm-hmm. but that's constantly working. And she was, is, still is, an amazing baker and an amazing cook. And so being able to see her and um, see even what she was cooking in the kitchen for us for dinner was, it was such an inspiration for me. That's awesome. So baking and art were two of your things. Did you have a specific medium for art that you were interested in? I did. Really good question, actually, because I think it does apply to what I'm doing right now. I love doing clay, so ceramics. We did that every summer. I would go to, it was a family friend's house, and she had a separate location, like behind her house, where I guess probably five to ten kids would join, and we would just play with clay, make different figurines, and she even had a kiln where she baked wow. the ceramics and we'd come back and, you know, paint. So it was, you know, every single, very cool. And I guess that does lead to how nowadays I really like to work with my hands. Like I absolutely love that. I love the creative process that comes with it, the decoration. And then there's of course the science and the making of different flavors to come up with different you know, delicious desserts. So I guess that was a big influence for me ever since I was little. Yeah, I can I can really see those two the two correlation, and that's such a cool opportunity to kind of know somebody and be able to kind of have that experience that experience that formative experience. Mm, yeah, no, it was a continuing thing for several summers, and I remember it really well. Uh, we still do have a lot of those clay figures around the house <laughs> that my parents hold. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know how beautiful they are, but yeah, <laughs> good memories for sure. That's awesome. So then mm-hmm. when um, you were in the high school age, were you still, were these kind of still two of your top interests, art and baking, or did you develop any other interests? Or big, big passions that kind of overshadowed those? Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I feel like it continued to develop. So I was still baking a lot at home. I would bake, you know, birthday cakes for my sisters and my friends. But also I was still taking art. So I took a lot of art classes, so like portrait classes and Mm. screen printing, things like that when I was in high school. I did some ceramics as well, if I remember. And it was actually just continued to develop when I was in college. So I started taking art history. So it just kind of went from there. Hmm. But I think in middle school, that's where the science aspect came in a little bit more. Because baking is, it's very much so a science-based profession or a medium. Mm-hmm. It's very specific in terms of how you put things together and in what quantities and what order, things like that. So for me, it was chemistry that I was very interested in. I got, uh, I started taking physics and then it was just like, like nope, oh my head, nope. <laughs> but chemistry I actually really enjoyed. <laughs> That's funny enough. I definitely passed chemistry, but I was so glad I graduated from high school early and I only had one semester of physics and I was like, thank you, Jesus. I don't know if I could have passed the second yes. one. <laughs> I think it was the same for me. I didn't graduate early or anything like that, but I think it was just required that we take one semester of physics. So yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> I was like, uh, this is beyond yeah, me. I yeah. was barely scraping by. Yes. Uh, just trying to get out of there. Um, I continued with math actually too. Like I I was good at math in high school and then I started taking, you know, calculus after that and I was like, nope. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's very difficult. Yeah. Well, thankfully, I don't believe you need calculus type calculations when you're baking, but maybe you no, do. No. I'm not the professional. <laughs> no, a good base of math though is actually good when you're coming up and designing recipes because you can change the the quantities like that, and so you do have to to know a little bit of math for sure. But no calculus, no, no, not really necessary. That's for sure. <laughs> This week's episode is sponsored by our guest, Molly J. Wilkinson, and her new book, French Pastry Made Simple, foolproof recipes for eclairs, tarts, macarons, and more. Unleash your inner pastry chef with Molly's approachable recipes for all of your French favorites. As you know, she was trained at Le Cordon Bleu Paris, and Molly takes all the essential techniques and makes them easy for home bakers, resulting in a collection of simple, key recipes that open up the world of pastry. With friendly, detailed directions with brilliant shortcuts, and you can skip the pastry shop and enjoy the delicious homemade creations yourself. Master base recipes like 30-minute puff pastry, decadent chocolate ganache, and fail-safe citrus curds, and you'll be on your way to making dozens of iconic French treats. You'll feel like a pro when whipping up some gorgeous tray of madeleines and decorating a stunning array of cream puffs and eclairs, along with the classics like the Frenchman's chocolate mousse, profiteroles, and many more. This is a go-to guide that shows you all the tips and tricks you will need to impress your guests and have fun with French pastry. You will find the link for her new book in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, ferry options for your journey. It has never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, Using Omeo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering off 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com. That's www.omio.com and use the code LISTENER5. That is L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-5, the number, at checkout. This is valid until June 30th for all new users on all modes of transportation. And it's just the pick-me-up that 2021 needs. Omeo, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. See the show notes for the Omeo link and details. So then when you were getting towards the end of your high school years, did you know what you wanted to do next? Did you know if you were, was you, were you expected to go to college? Did you want to go to college? Were you thinking of just starting in maybe a trade school or just start working right away? What were you thinking about for your next steps? I think for my family, there was never really a question in terms of us going to college. Like ever since we were young, it was always something that was talked about. And, you know, there's the encouraging to, to save for college as well. We applied for scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. And so for us, it, it really wasn't a question. Mm-hmm. I knew that I would eventually go into a nine to five job. And I thought that it was going to be interior design, actually. So mm-hmm. continuing with sort of that, you know, art aspect, design, but, you know, a little bit of mathematics, you know, yeah. where things go, right? But yeah, I never, it was, it's interesting. I always considered pastry and baking as more of a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I had in the back of my mind, maybe going to a cooking school at some point, but I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think that it was possible for me to, make that a profession for for me to succeed in that role financially actually because i'd heard you know that it's it's very difficult which it is and none of uh, you know none of my family was in the baking or the the culinary world so mm-hmm. i didn't have any role models to look for in terms of how to go into you know working in a restaurant or starting a bakery or things like that 
that. And so my, you know, my, my role models were, were a nine to five job. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, I was very happy with that. And, you know, contemplating interior design. And I even did an internship and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually, I started that out as my major in college. Interior design. Um, and that was what my major was going to be. My older sister was graduating as an architect. And so a lot of us, you know, a lot of my friends and family were like, oh, do like, you know, a sister team, architect, <laughs> design, something like that. And um, I, it's really crazy. Like, I don't know what it was, but after just one year of interior design, I was like, I like it, but it's definitely more of a hobby for me. I didn't see this as being a profession. Mm -hmm. And even when I did that internship, I was like, well, I, I enjoy it, but it didn't, it wasn't capturing my interest as much as I thought it would be. And mm. I think that's so common. Like it's so hard to know when you're going into college, what you're going to, you know, eventually do. So I actually changed to business. Hmm. which you can probably guess based on what I was saying earlier, um, <laughs> finance was not good for me. <laughs> I think I took one finance class and I was like, mm, no. <laughs> and that was really complicated. So I did one semester and I was like, oh, I'll do business school. It's a good, you know, covers all the bases. You can yeah. do a lot of things. And then it was very difficult for me. I loved it. And it was, it was crazy because I thought every single time I would, you know, I would do really well. I think that I would do really well on like a business law class or something like that. But it was, it was a difficult um, métier is what they said. It was a difficult major for me. And so I changed to marketing. <laughs> how did you and, choose, um, how did you choose marketing? Or you just were like, this is the next best choice. I think this has got some of my interests in here. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's very similar to business, right? And it's an aspect of business. And it was, gosh, I hate to say it, but it was easier. For me, it just made more sense. And so I did advertising and public relations. And I didn't really like PR. I think I had one class in that. And then I just, you know, gravitated towards advertising. And yeah, for me, it was a major. It was a major. It was a major means to an end. It was, you know, I knew that I would be able to get a good job after I graduated with that. And that was the most important thing. But I also started doing art history as a minor. And so that mm. art aspect came back in. And gosh, I loved that so much. I love sitting in a dark room looking at slides, <laughs> um, you know, on a big projection screen. I loved it. And that's eventually what led me to do my study abroad trip and go to Europe for the first time. Wait, I so. want to pause you for one, one second. I realized I didn't ask this before, before we go to Europe. Wait, yeah. Did you stay in Texas for college or did you go somewhere else? I stayed in Texas. Okay. Yes, so gotcha. I went to Texas Christian University about an hour from where my parents lived. And I was definitely one of those people that brought home laundry on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, stayed in Texas and um, lived on campus for the first year. And then I had an apartment with roommates for the last um, three years, which I... Awesome. All right. I didn't want to derail us too much, but I was just thinking, oh, did you, what was your kind of situation if you had, you know, been far away from home before? No, uh -uh. my whole world was Texas and Mexican food. <laughs> my other love. But yeah, it, I hadn't, so I traveled a lot with my, my family when I was younger and, you know, school vacations and things like that, but I had never been abroad. I had never been outside of the U.S. Unless we're counting Canada, which I love Canada. So <laughs> I went one time for a community service trip when I was in a high school and I went to Montreal and that's, it is kind of a taste of Europe there a little bit. So. Yeah, that's what I hear. I haven't been there yet. <gasps> Gorgeous. Loved it. <laughs> Highly recommend. But yeah, no, I studied abroad when I was in college for a grand total of two weeks. 
Oh, I thought you were. <laughs> I thought you were going to launch into a whole semester with the way you're talking. No. no. <laughs> so was it, it uh, traveling around Europe, or did you stay in one place? So we stayed in Paris for one week. Okay. And it was totally the quintessential, you know, you get off the plane and, well, it was very gray. It was very gray when we arrived. I remember that. And I remember seeing the Eiffel Tower from a distance and being like, oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> because I never was a Francophile growing mm. up. Like I, you know, I loved the Madeleine stories and stuff like that. But right. I didn't have berets or pictures of France around my room. I I knew I would love it though. That's for sure. So I, I, you know, started walking around and it was all about Americans in France. So famous authors and things like that. And we visited all of the major sites, uh, did a couple of French lessons, which didn't really help me out. <laughs> and I, I, when I, I guess my fondest memories was going to the Louvre museum and seeing the Rubens paintings for the first time, like I, because art history was huge for me. And so I actually did even start tearing up when I saw that and loved, you know, the Louvre. And then I remember visiting Versailles as well, which is kind of like back to where I am now. But yeah, I was there for a week and it was very fast. I'm um, sure. I didn't eat a lot of pastries, actually. I... I ate a lot of croissants and a lot of pain au chocolat, but I didn't have a lot of pastries. And so it really was more so about experiencing the city and walking around and seeing the sights. I, I do remember that I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so when I left, because we were going to Madrid for the second part of our trip, so another week down there, I went to the bakery that morning and I bought a bag of croissants, 10 croissants. <laughs> <laughs> and I took them on the train. It was a seven hour train ride. And so every hour I would have a croissant. Sounds <laughs> like a good spread. plan. <laughs> good plan. I spread out my love for France, you know, continued uh, eating some buttery, beautiful, flaky croissants. And it was great. And I just remember thinking like when I left, I was, I was just in awe of the city. I absolutely loved it. And I knew that I'd have to return at some point. And that was just further approved when I was in Madrid and I just didn't like it as much as Paris. Aww. Like I, the food wasn't as great, but the city was gorgeous. And so it was just like, Oh, France, just have to make it happen. <laughs> but yeah, I was only there for two weeks and I came back and I started continuing with my internship for marketing, which led to the nine to five job that I held for, for seven years in advertising. Wow. So what year in college was your trip to Europe? In junior year. Okay. In the summer. Yeah. It was in the summer. And I had friends that were doing semesters abroad and gosh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that, but you know, it was just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing my whole life, my mom, she didn't study abroad. And I just remember her telling me my whole life, like you should study abroad. It's a great opportunity. And her sister, my aunt, she studied abroad in Barcelona and she always raved about it. So then I studied abroad three times because of that. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a really eye-opening experience. Definitely. You learn about different cultures and about being open. Yeah, being open to those other cultures, which became such an important thing to me when I did finally move to France. Um, because sometimes, you know, moving abroad for people, it's, it's for some people and it's not for others. And um, it's a difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing. Very um, true. Mm -hmm. So when you were in your last year of college, were you thinking about what jobs you were going to do next? Did you know if you kind of got the, a little, you know, but the France bug, I'm not France bug, <laughs> the, you know, kind of desire to go back, but did you, did you think about doing that right away or did you know that you needed to stay and get a job in the States first or what were you thinking? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you nailed it. Like, I, I definitely was bitten by the French bug. 
I, well, I guess to put it a better way, it was something that was constantly in the back of my mind to return to France one day. And I didn't know how exactly. I just knew that it was going to happen. And before, well, actually, no, I think it was right after I got back, I started an internship at a small advertising agency for digital advertising. And I remember doing my interview and the HR person asked me about my passion and I said baking, naturally, of course. And she was like, oh, have you ever thought about going to culinary school uh, in my job interview? Wow. <laughs> I think she could see how passionate I was and you know I'm sure we were just talking but I I'd already been thinking about it I remember I said I you know in high school I yeah it was kind of in the back of my mind maybe at mm -hmm. some point. I just didn't think it was possible and then you know she mentions it again like it was very interesting like then the HR person at this job that I want to take you know to become my you know, my nine to five successful job after college, you know, she mentions it. Hey listeners, some of you may have heard a big part of my story on how I started this podcast. During my day job, I get to listen to podcasts all day long. The ones I really enjoy are the ones that encompass someone's story and their passions. Since I'm an avid podcast listener, I want to share the podcast I enjoy with you. I love the happy hour podcast hosted by Jamie Ivey which I'm sure I've mentioned before on the podcast. During the happy hour, they discuss anything and everything just as you are sitting around the table with your own girlfriends. Jamie loves to connect with the women and encourage them as they journey through life. Today, I wanted to share with you an episode that stuck out to me, episode 377 with Gretchen Saffles, who's the author and founder of the online community Well-Watered Woman. In this episode, Gretchen talks about society's criteria for a, quote, good Christian woman and how to combat that with God's word. Gretchen also dives into the true meaning of a well-watered woman and what it looks like to be really with Jesus. There's a quote that I've had a sticky note on my laptop for the past several weeks after I've heard this episode. It's when Gretchen said, contentment is not having more or having less. It is having Christ. I would encourage you to give this episode a listen. I will link the podcast details in the show notes. All right, back to Molly's story. Essentially what happened is there was just this continuation of, you know, me baking for, for my work colleagues, bringing tons of desserts into work constantly, at least each week. We even started doing baking competitions at my Oh, office. wow. Yeah, and just this HR person, and I, and I believe also my work colleagues would, they would go ask. They would say, "Oh, so, you know, when are you opening a bakery? When are you going to to cooking school?" And after I graduated from college, I continued with the same job full time, mm -hmm. and that just kept continuing until I, I don't know, I, I reached this point in 2012, actually where it wasn't a quarter life crisis or anything like that but it just was it was this moment where i was doing very well in my job i'd been working for them for i guess about five years at that point and you know i'd worked my way up to a managerial position i really enjoyed it i actually really enjoyed the data as aspect of it in excel which i actually still today excel does serve me very well <laughs> and uh, yeah i I was like, oh, totally lost the train of my thought. <laughs> you said you worked your way up to a managerial position yeah. and you liked Excel. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, yeah. So I worked my way up to a managerial position and really, really enjoyed it. I loved working with people. I really enjoyed being a manager too, actually. And I was good at my job. And I thought that, you know, I would be happy doing that for a very long time. But there was, there was a one day, I don't know if it was a specific day or anything like that, where I was like, hold on a second. I'm doing well. I, I have a dog. That's <laughs> the only thing I really have in my life. I'm not married. I don't have a husband. I was, yeah, I was 23. And I was like, you know, this is the moment. This is the time that if I want to pursue 
going into baking or at least just kind of dip my toes in it a little Mm -hmm. bit more that this was the time because otherwise Um, Because of how my career was continuing, I would really have to just focus on my marketing career 100%. And it would be a lot more difficult to later in my life, just, you know, one day be like, oh, well, I'm baking. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a a rougher transition. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it really was that kind of, okay, I could continue, you know, going up the... um, the building stones in this company and going up into higher and higher positions, right? Or I'm happy with the position I'm at right now. I'm doing well. This is the time to really pursue baking, you know, before I, you know, take those next steps in my digital marketing career. Because it's like if baking didn't work out, then I could go back to marketing and that was fine. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if baking worked out, then I could switch to that and I was still young enough and had the energy (laughs) yeah to do that so um, that's what I did (laughs) so did you how did you kind of determine what what your next step was I know that there is you know culinary schools but did you know because you already had a lot of experience from growing up just kind of in, in the kitchen did you know if you wanted to you were dead set on going to culinary school or did you think that you were just going to open up a bakery or what What was your kind of blueprint that you were formulating? Yeah. So I am, I'm definitely a planner, a big planner. I, <laughs> I like being prepared for things as well. Same. Oh, uh, which Chris, oh yeah, Chris, my partner, he knows that. Like, <laughs> And so I, I like to be very prepared. I like to have a plan. I, I like to be in a good spot when I make transitions. Mm-hmm. So yes. It, yes. Yeah. I wanted things to be, you know, yeah, situated and, and ready to go. So it just wasn't like, Oh, I'm leaving my apartment and moving to France. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a big decision. So there are two paths that you were saying, which are exactly right. So you can either go to culinary school, of course, or you can, you know, use the skills that you've uh, gained by working yourself in the kitchen or by learning from others, right? So a lot of times in the culinary world, you learn by being in different kitchens and cooking with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get all of those tips. That's where you gain all of that knowledge. But for me, I think I wanted the structure. I wanted the structure of going to culinary school and um, you know, moving through all of the bases that there are for baking. Because there are certain things that, that things like that. So anyways, mm-hmm. so for me, I looked at schools in the States, actually. I looked at the French Culinary Institute in New York. I looked at the CIA um, not the spies, but the <laughs> cooks, the Institution of America. I looked at some others. I, I even looked at the Cordon Bleu in the U.S., which I don't think is actually there anymore. Yeah, there used to be one franchise. in Chicago. Uh-huh. And then but, I got closed. Yes, it did. My aunt actually went there before it was Le Cordon Bleu, and then it, cha- it changed titles. And now I'm not sure because I drive past it actually quite often, and there's a big apartment building oh. in the front, but I'm not sure what happened to the building itself. Interesting. Well, I know that there was actually a lot of lawsuits that happened because they essentially said that you could become a chef right after you graduated, which really isn't the case. <laughs> and so there's a lot of people graduating and they were dishwashers and they were like had all this school debt and they're like oh "Oh, no that cool yeah and so the cordon blues in the u.s were a franchise Mm -hmm. the cordon blues in uh, the rest of the world which have a very 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 good um, name for themselves essentially so i had looked at going to the one in dallas and surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly, <laughs> the price was twice as expensive as going to the one in Paris. What? That's yes. crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, me being a planner, a 
terror um, was like, you know, that's a little ridiculous. I could move to France. I could pay for, you know, rent and experience where French pastry was born and go to the Cordon Bleu, you know, where Julia Child went and Giada de Laurentiis and, and things like that, and experience a whole other culture. And it was just hands down the easiest decision ever. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm doing that. <laughs> I got a question. For applying to go to Le Cordon Bleu, do you have to, I mean, I guess you would submit an application, but do you need to, do you have a video of you or a test of yeah, cooking it's, basics? It's, yeah, it's a kind of like applying for college. Okay. So you do, you write an essay okay. and- Essentially, if they have space, you're in. Um, okay. And it's out in three semesters. So if you don't pass a semester, though, then you're essentially you're out or you have to retake that first semester. Mm. So the test really comes in those first three months for you and then continues through okay. intermediate until you actually get your certification. So, yeah, it's, it was a, you know, an application that I did online and once I received this massive letter in the mail addressed to Mademoiselle Molly Wilkinson, <laughs> I was accepted. So I actually moved back home. I started saving um, so I could pay for the school myself because it still was quite expensive. Mm. And so I'd have, you know, a good base for myself while I was in Paris. And then applied for my student visa, which is relatively easy to get when you are going to school because they know that you're only going to be there until you graduate. Right. So for them, it's just kind of a write-off. It's like, okay, well, here's your visa. <laughs> you're in a long-term school. You're going to go to learn a trade in France. And then once that's over, then your visa is up. And then I, I moved. So I picked up everything. I continued actually working remotely for that same marketing agency, because if you might have guessed, I'm very much so, I just tried to take things a step at a time, and mm -hmm. I just didn't want to be like, okay, bye. I like having that little base, that little cushion, just in case. And so for me, it was a way to continue to stay connected with this incredible company for letting me do this, right? Yeah. And continue to just, you know, know the advancements that were happening in digital marketing, which changes very fast. So the hope was that after a year, you know, I'd know a little bit more in terms of if I wanted to continue with marketing or if I wanted to slowly make the shift into baking, but I always had that little buffer for myself. That's great. Well, that, that's an awesome op opportunity and blessing to be able to have that, I guess, on the side as you're going to culinary school to kind of be making that decision, but not have as much pressure on you kind of because you still have a bit of an income. Exactly. Exactly. So that, you know, it always paid my rent. So that was good. Thank goodness. <laughs> Very important. Um, yes. And, you know, I was able to get pastries to try out but other than that I was in school and it was 15 hours per week the schedule changed every single week so we didn't know if we we're gonna have class on Monday Tuesday Wednesday or if it was gonna be just Monday Tuesday like it was such a small school that every single week was different wow but we did know in advance so that was good so we could plan the little trips if we wanted to but very small location located in the 15th arrondissement, so the 15th neighborhood. And my first apartment there was also in the 15th, and I had to walk past the Eiffel Tower every day to get to school. And oh, just, what a burden. Oh, it was such a joy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first, you know, 20 times, right? You just walk by, and I would just, you know, you'd be turning to the right and be like, oh, look. <laughs> But then, like, I think it becomes like the uh, Statue of Liberty to New Yorkers, right? Then it becomes really normal. But I, yeah, I just, it really took to living in France. It was, it was a really magical experience. It was probably one of the best years of my life, I would say. 
Hey friends, thank you so much for joining us this week for another awesome guest. I am just so thankful and honored that you would choose to download and listen to another conversation with us. Thank you so much for inviting me into your earbuds, your car, Google Home, Alexa, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. Can you please do me a favor? If you've not already subscribed to the podcast yet, would you help us grow and subscribe to the podcast and whichever podcast player app you're listening to us on? If you already subscribed, I truly, truly appreciate it. It makes a huge difference. If you enjoy this episode, I would love if you would share it with a friend. I find out about so many new podcasts through friends sharing them with me. Lastly, if you can, please leave a rating or review on whatever podcast player app you're listening to us on. Thank you. I know these things may seem super small, subscribing, sharing the show, leaving a rating review, but they make a huge difference to new listeners being able to find the No Wrong Turns podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, for listening, for cheering on the No Wrong Turns pod. Thanks for subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the show. All right, back to Molly's story. So I have a quick question. You mentioned that you had taken a couple of French classes before when you had studied there for a week, but didn't really remember anything. So when you, when you moved there, what was kind of the, the language landscape for you? Did you feel like you needed to know French? Did you take lessons ahead of time to kind of get up to speed? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, so I... I actually, I studied Spanish in school and that ended up really confusing me when I started learning French because there are very similar words, but I didn't know Spanish well enough or French well enough to separate (laughs) the two. And so I was pronouncing (laughs) all sorts of words, but I did, I took a couple of very, very, very beginner classes before I left. So I knew bonjour, au revoir, who sont les toilettes, like very, very, very basic. (laughs) Survival. Um, Yeah, yeah. And while I was in Paris, I did start taking other classes. So I took classes through the Sorbonne, to the Marie, which is the city hall here in Paris. They offer very inexpensive French classes, which were really great. And yeah, because Honestly, when you move to a foreign country, it's really good to know the language. I was able to get by just fine, absolutely. And I started to understand more and more and more. The classes themselves were in French, but there is an English translator, so a live English translator. And as soon as I started learning more French, I was able to understand more of what was happening in the class because the chef you know, would say lots of things about what they were doing, right? The chefs, um, but the translators, they didn't have time to translate everything, right? So right. it was always a very quick, he stirred the chocolate into the cream or something like that, <laughs> you know, instead of why he's doing it or at what speed or at what temperatures, things like that. And so once I, I knew a little bit more, then I started understanding more so about what was happening. But also you, in culinary, yes. I was just going to ask, what were the demographics of your classmates? If you had an English translator, were there many people, many English speakers or just many, many people who English was a a common language, maybe their second or third language? I'm just kind of curious, just the demographics of your, of your classes, uh, of the other students uh, in there. Yeah, there was 70 students in my program. This is the one that I was taking. Mm-hmm. And of that, there was only one French person, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, who became, it was all people who mostly spoke French. Okay. Or sorry, English. I'm sorry, oh, English. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it was people that, yes, exactly what you're saying. It was either their first or their second or their third language, English. There were some people, though, that only spoke French. There were, I would say, probably three Americans. There was some people from Latin um, countries. Um, And then we had a lot. So about half of our class was from Asian countries, actually, which Mm. has a very big influence of French pastries. So there's a lot of actually big French chefs have opened up pastry shops in Japan, for example. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it's very popular there. And so, yeah, about half of our class was from Asian countries. 
So we had, just to kind of give you a breakdown of how the classes went, we had a demonstration where all 70 students were in the same room. Or no, I'm sorry, they broke it in half. So there, there would be 35 people in okay. the room for the demonstration, which, I mean, wouldn't really happen nowadays, I guess. <laughs> You're definitely not. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and then you would, after you watch this demonstration where they would show you how to make two to three desserts, and it would go for about three hours. You would then go into a what's called a practical, where you are in the kitchen with 10 other students, and you're actually making the desserts that you were shown. So you okay. first see it, and then you make it. So sometimes okay. you don't make all of the desserts that they showed you. Sometimes it's not directly after the demonstration class. Maybe it's the next day or mm -hmm. later that week, but you always get that time in the kitchen and yeah, it's small groups when you're actually baking, which I liked. Nice. And then is the yeah. the the pastry chef who who showed you those desserts with you, or you're kind of all just experimenting together? No, there's a chef that oversees in the okay. kitchen when you're baking along, and they don't offer a ton of advice, so we'll kind of walk around and like see what you're up. Yeah. I remember they'd always kind of manage the ovens for you, which was really okay. interesting. I think because they're students, which makes sense. So there would be, you know, only one or two ovens per classroom because it was very small. It was in a smaller building than it is and now, actually. It moved after I graduated to a new building. But yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Loved it. The chefs were hilarious. There was actually <laughs> one chef who... They're all very well-known in France, actually. But this one chef, he had a lot of American ties, actually. He helped develop gingerbread men for Williams-Sonoma. So, like, oh, wow. <laughs> that were, like, sold at Williams-Sonoma. I don't know. That was his big thing that he would tell us about. Claim like, to fame. Put that on yeah. your resume. Exactly. But, yeah, I would go home, and for our exams, you were encouraged to practice the desserts again at home. And I had a very small oven the size of a microwave, tiny, and I was living in, like, a very small apartment. And for the exams, what happened is you had to first do a multiple-choice type test, which was based on the information in the class. So for example, a genoise cake typically contains these ingredients, things like that. So flour. Was your cereals. test in English or French? You had a choice actually. So oh, okay. You could, yeah, which was kind of nice. <laughs> and then after that, so you had to memorize a lot of stuff, right? Okay. So it was, you know, a lot about learning about the ratios of how cakes were put together, you know, the bases, the basics, really the basics of French pastry, which provides this really solid foundation for you know, making your own recipes. And then after that, we essentially picked a recipe out of a hat and we had to make it. Wow. And no pressure. They would, yeah, yeah. They would give you the recipe, quote, quote, the recipe, not even, they would give you this list of the ingredients that were in there. And then your first part of that test was you were supposed to fill out the quantities of each ingredient. Okay. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> goodness. You, imagine you, put, you know, I'm just going to say it in cups. But if you put like two cups instead of one cup of something or, you know, like a very like, yeah. So you had to memorize all of the ingredients, all the quantities for all of these recipes each semester, which can be between 30 to 40 recipes, right? Oh my and, goodness. Uh, then thankfully you hand that in and then they give you the correct measurements just in case. So then you actually make it based on, you know, they give you the right one. So, you know, in case you put two cups instead of one cup, you're not <laughs> in the woods. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, but you don't have the instructions. Okay. So now you have the oh, list geez. of ingredients and the list of the actual quantity. So it's in metric. So obviously it would be like 200 grams, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and then you had to make it. And, um, but if you didn't know the exact steps, then yeah, you didn't do so well. That's for Gosh. Sure. <laughs> so it, 
it was, yeah, I had to do that. Well, there's three semesters, so I had three big exams like that. And it was a little lot of pressure because, like I said earlier, if you don't pass, then you fail and you either have to retake that one or you're just done. So, yeah, yeah. There wow. Is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I feel pressure just hearing about the thought of having to memorize 30 to 40 recipes, know all of the quantities, and then execute all the steps. Yes, exactly. No, it was so glad that's over. I don't have any of those memories anymore. <laughs> I have a relatively good short-term memory, but <laughs> long-term not so much. But yeah, it really, honestly, that does come in handy quite a lot when you're doing pastry because I still look at that. I look at the ratios of ingredients, one ingredient to another ingredient and, mm. you know, how, what typically goes into something, you know, and then you can go from there to change the flavors and consistencies and stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. Friends, this was a great conversation with Molly, and this was only just part one. I loved how when Molly was sharing her story, it was so relatable. The idea that we all may have a passion that we're working on and pursuing on the side, while also at the same time pursuing a professional bill-paying career. It was awesome to hear how Molly made the decision to plan for her moment to branch out and become formally trained in the art of French cooking and pastry. I am so excited to hear more from her story on what life was like for her attending Le Cordon Bleu and then where life took her after. As we shared earlier, Molly just released her first pastry cookbook, French Pastry Made Simple. You guys can see our show notes for the link and all the details where you can find it. I hope that you were encouraged today from Molly's story and her passions. And my prayer is that you would consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. All right. This week's episode was edited by Sophia Bote. Thanks, Sophia. And you can see the show notes for our music credits. I hope you all enjoy your week. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend. That would be so awesome. And I would thank you so much. And come back next week and we will have part two with Molly J. Wilkinson, the pastry chef based in Versailles, France. Hey friends, you have just listened to the No Wrong Turns podcast with Audrey Hickman Hunter. I'm Audrey and I'm your host. I'm so happy that you were here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are bringing you new shows every other Tuesday and we always have on some awesome, amazing guests to chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe today to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter on your podcast player app so that you guys will never miss an episode. All right. See you next time.